I want to invite a friend up uh, on the stage to tell his story. Uh, my friend Brandon Price. Here, here comes Brandon. And you have to make your way. Do you see how the praise team just takes over? It just... <laughs> Brandon is uh, currently serving at Karis in Chino Valley. Chino Hills. Chino Hills. Chino Hills, yeah. And uh, he is the college and young adult pastor there. And uh, I went to school ministry with Brandon, and he's got quite a story. So I was excited that he was willing to drive out here for us and share what God's done in his life. So I'm going to give it over to you now. Cool. If I can make my way through the gauntlet. (laughs) Man, it's crazy. Like, the two times that my mouth goes dry is before I speak and right before I go to the dentist. For some reason, all the saliva in my mouth just goes... But let's pray. Father, thank you so much, Lord, just for your, your steadfast love, your mercies, and how they're just new every morning. Lord, I pray that, that, Lord, that your presence would be felt here tonight, Lord. That, Lord, that you would be glorified as I share my story of just how you have just truly transformed my life. So, Lord, I give this time to you. We praise you, Lord. And pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, you know, <clears throat> thanks, Pastor Dave, for having me here. I'm, I'm super excited to share my testimony uh, with you. You know, growing up, I was one of those kids who always asked that question, why me? Why me? Why me? Why me? Why do all these things happen to me? And <clears throat> Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, it talks about the enemy crouching behind a door waiting for you to open it, inviting him in, and then he takes over. And that's kind of like my story. Most of my life, it was opening door after door after door, inviting the enemy to come into my life. By my mid-20s, the inside of me looked like a hotel in Vegas, Sin City, all these open doors, and it was just party. At an early age, I had so much anger and hatred towards God and my father. I had so much resentment. And it was probably because my dad, as growing up, he, he always put our family in a situation, and uh, it wasn't always the best. I remember uh, because of all the times that he would mess up, we would get sent out to um, a babysitter. And there was this one time when I was uh, six years old that as they went to the park, the babysitter took my brother and my sister to the park, and I had to stay behind because I got in trouble. And um, I I stayed with the babysitter's husband. And what happened was that the babysitter's husband told me that uh, if if I didn't let him do the things that he wanted to do to me, I would never see my brother and sister again. So I got child molested at the age of six by him, and I was told that if I were ever to tell anybody I'd never see my brother and sister again. That was door number one that I opened. It happened, and that was the starting point of all this hatred and anger entering my life. See, after that, we moved to LA. We probably moved around 10 times before I graduated high school. So moving so much, I always had to try to find a way to adapt to the crowd. I was known what you'd probably like a chameleon able to blend in with the crowd. 
I always did what I could to get a laugh or just to be part of the in crowd. By the age of 13, uh, I was forced to smoke my first cigarette and my first joint of weed. Uh, by the age of uh, 14, um, I got into crystal meth. By the age of 15, I got into my very first gang. I actually also found out that my dad and his friends were the very first group of Koreans that started the very first gang in California. So he had a pretty known lifestyle amongst the Korean community, especially in Koreatown, Los Angeles. People knew who he was, and my dad lived by this uh, motto that in order to become a good fighter, you have to get your butt kicked really hard. And he would try to do that to me and my brother through uh, his friends and his youngsters. So I got into my first gang when I was 15. Um, by the age of 16, <laughs> thanks. Can you guys hear my, okay. Thank you. <clears throat> that's the first thing that's happened. Um, where was I? Yeah, so by the age of 16, um, I got into um, raving. And uh, I started partying um, around that time. I, I, man, I probably, I probably have eaten more than 200 pills of ecstasy and probably uh, eaten maybe over 100 tabs of acid. Around that time, I was so sucked in and hooked into that lifestyle, you know, I decided to drop out of school. I, I gave up on school completely, and I just said, you know what, I'm going to go, and I'm going to work, and I'm going to support my habit. And during that time, you know, everything was good. Um, by 18 years old, I was actually making $6,000 uh, a month selling drugs and guns and uh, just living my life. I had everything that I wanted. I was partying it up to the fullest. And uh, I just remember every, each and every single time uh, I was trying to fill a void in my life. By the age of 19, I was working um, at a strip club, <laughs> uh, not as a stripper, but as an employee for uh, an Italian mafia guy. Um, I was working at a strip club for him. Um, I got into the club scene. At that time, I was um, heavily um, using uh, meth, and I got into cocaine. By the age of 21, I started my own gang with a couple of friends. And that turned really big. We had a, an entire group of guys that were under us. We were, we were doing a lot of things, extortion, um, embezzlement. Uh, I must have um, taken over $100,000 in cash stealing from companies and going into houses and doing home invasions with friends. <clears throat> By the age of 24, um, I went and finally got a job at, um, for Playboy Entertainment. I was working for uh, the X porn department as the head of regional sales. So you can see where my life is going, door after door after door. Um, I thought that everything was good, you know. Um, being the head of regional sales for Playboy, the salary was, it was great, the commission was great, and uh, I was just around the scene that I wanted to be around all the time. But I realized, you know, even, even through this all, um, I just felt this emptiness, just an emptiness of always trying to replace something with the next. So what happened was I started getting really, really heavily into drugs. And during this time, I had seven friends killed in one year, um, all to bad drug deals and gang violence. <clears throat> I actually remember um, there was a tip out saying that I was next. So what I did was I just got as much drugs as I could, went to hotels, and I stayed under until um, 
until I heard that everything was okay. But during that time, I just found myself um, losing my mind, being up three days at a time. Um, I, was, I was scared for my life. I started losing my mind. I couldn't think straight. I just remember during that time, there was just one night, I was in a, in a corner of that room, just rocking back and forth, uh, just holding my, my legs. And I remember it was the first time I actually cried out to God. And I said, God, if, if you are there, if you're really there, save me. I don't, I don't want to live like this anymore. And I was really close to um, an OD. And then I remember hearing his, his voice. And his voice said, Brandon, enough is enough. Come and take my hand. You know, around that time when I heard that, I really thought, man, I must be super high to, to, to hear this. But, I, you know, I challenged it. I, I put myself in that same situation two more times, and I heard that same voice, the same calling, and I was able to sleep, and I was able to go back to church. I went to church, and I remember trying to, I remember stepping into church the very first time after all this was going on, and I had like piercings all over my lips. I would come in, you know, wearing suits, and you know, people, people knew who I was, because again, it's a small Korea town. Once you know one person, it's everybody knows everybody. And I remember just, uh, just feeling the, the heaviness of judgment being placed upon me, and everyone looking at me, and I, it, was, it was a horrible experience. And I remember that every week that I would go, they would invite me to a small group, and they would ask me, say, hey, Brandon, do you want to share this week? I would always push it off. But I remember sharing one week, and I remember everybody was scattered all over the place. But once I opened my mouth, they all came running in. And once I shared, I found out the very next week that the people of the church were gossiping about who I was. And it spread like wildfire, and then everyone started hating me. So I left the church thinking, man, this is what church is like? But something interesting happened. As I was sitting in my car, bumping uh, songs for worship, crying, um, God changed my heart. And he, he put it in me where it was not about me anymore, but he gave me a heart for the youth. He gave me a heart for the lost and the broken, and he pulled me into it back again. I went, I was able to forgive through being there. You know, the, the one verse that God spoke to me first was Romans 12 too. It's not to conform to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It was then when God started transforming me little by little by little. I was always told I wasn't good enough, that I would never be able to make it, that nothing would work. But then you know what? God led me to the school of ministry. At first, I remember even talking to Pastor Dave and, and, and all the brothers at school, and I would tell them, what am I doing here? You know, I, I didn't even go to college. I barely, I got, I finished high school by going to a continuation program, but I would struggle more than any other brother in that school. Actually, I don't want to say that. I struggled a lot, though. You know, these assignments that, like, I'm going to use Pastor Dave as an example, that he'd finish in 20 minutes would take me four hours. And I would sit there just challenged by all of this. But you know what? It was through that, like even God showed me what real brothers and real friends were, what accountability was like. And these people would pray for you and pray for you and pray for you. Like my brother Bryce, who's, who's here, you know, he, he's been praying for me all year. And he, it's through these prayers that enabled me 
to graduate, you know, again, I asked myself, why me? Why me each and every single time that I went through everything that I went through? And you know what? God has been really just showing me through all of this that, you know what, Brandon, why not? Why not you? You know, we do go through these trials in, your, in our lives, but you know what? God says that it, I mean, it has to pass through his fingertips first, that he has a trial and a purpose for each and every single one of us, but it has a purpose in our lives for every believer. And that is what gave me strength. It's what gave me strength through these brothers and how they were just accountable for who I was. And by the, through their prayer and through God's strength, I was able to graduate. And I gotta say, graduating school and ministry in June was the very first time I graduated from anything. And you know what? It was, it was well worth it. That was, that the wait to graduate from something couldn't have been better. Since then, like he said, I'm, I'm, now, uh, I'm now the pastor, a college pastor at our church, and God continues to give me this heart uh, to really pour out to the lost and broken. Um, yeah, yeah, God does great things, and instead of asking why me now, I, I sit and I just pray, giving thanks to God, saying, God, whatever we go through in our lives, there is a purpose. You have a purpose, and you're going to use it for your glory. Just like I'm here today, wherever God moves me next, I'm going to move. And I'm thankful because, you know what, I should be dead. I used to be that one to bring people down and say, hey, try this, take this, stay with me. I fed them drugs and did everything that, I, 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 that they wanted. But now I'm this guy who's standing here saying, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Christ. He has truly transformed me from who I used to be to who I am now by renewing my mind. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, uh, again, I just I thank you so much, Father, for, for all that you do. Lord, we just give glory and praise and honor to who you are, Lord. I'm just here a vessel to be used by you. And Lord, um, I pray if anybody here later wants to come and speak to me, Lord, uh, that, that you would just make that happen. Thank you, Father. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hold on one minute, because uh, I want to just say something. The church that you're working at, the Calvary Chapel you're working at, is called Charis Fellowship. Now, I want to test your Greek. What's that mean? It's not Hebrew. <laughs> it's grace. Grace, yeah. <laughs> what a fitting church for you to be at. Yeah. That God's grace has been all over Amen. your life. And I appreciate you being here. Yeah. We want to pray for Brandon. Brandon, was uh, he's a, a cabinet maker on the side. That's what he supports himself with. But he's getting ready to go full-time in his church. And uh, he was uh, using the table saw, and a piece shot back up into his eye. And actually, he's got a, a detached retina, correct? Right. So we're, we're going to pray for him. They're, they're not sure exactly how much damage he'll have. This happened a couple months ago, actually, and they're, they're waiting for, or a month ago. But they're waiting for it to fall off completely before they can fix it. So if you'll pray with me for Brandon, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much, God, for just the new life that you promise us in Christ, God, that we can see this man raised up from the dead into life, Lord God. The power of your Holy Spirit and your gospel in living flesh right here, God, before us. We thank you for him. Lord, we pray for your protection upon him, Lord. We pray, dear God, that you would bind the enemy, Lord. Raise him up for your good, for your glory, for your purposes, Lord, and use him. 
unto yourself, Lord. Father, we want to ask for his eye. We pray for your just healing hand upon that eye, God. We pray that you would restore his vision. And Lord God, that uh, it would just be another testimony to the goodness that you've given to him in his life and your grace. We love you, Lord Jesus. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thanks so much, Brandon, for sharing. Yeah, this way. And wherever you, however you can get off. <laughs> That's the tricky part. Thank you so much for coming and being transparent with us. Uh, <laughs> I, I tell you, that's one thing about the Calvary Chapel School of Ministry at Costa Mesa that uh, I was always so impressed by because there's not very many seminaries in the world that you can go to and find people from so many different walks of life, somebody who hasn't ever graduated uh, anything, being able to come through and be trained up to serve the Lord. And I, I love that. I loved every minute of that and being with my brothers and um, just hearing their testimonies. I, I remember them uh, telling me, like, oh, we can't wait to hear your testimony. We can't wait to hear your testimony. I'm like, ah, mine's pretty boring. Uh, I was a Pharisee. <laughs> so anyway, but let's get into the Scripture reading tonight. Mark chapter 1, and we're going to be at verse 12. So starting at verse 12 tonight. Mark chapter 1, verse 12. All right, Mark chapter 1, verse 12. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. I'm sorry, you know what? We're at verse 14, not 12. We did this last week. My apologies. Let's go to verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Verse 16. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him, and going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. May God have his blessing the reading of his word. I uh, read the story of George Phillips from Meridian, Mississippi, who was going to bed one night, and his wife told him that he had forgot to turn off the light in the shed. So he got up out of bed and went over to the, open the door and to go turn off the light. And then he saw some people in the process of robbing his shed. So he gently closed the door, walked back inside, picked up the phone and called 911. And when he called the police, they asked him, is someone in your house? And George said, no. And he explained the situation. Then they explained that all patrols were busy and he should simply Lock his door, and an officer will be there when they're available next. So George said, okay. Hung up the phone. And after he hung up the phone, he counted to 30. And then he called 911 back, and he said, just so you know, you don't have to worry about coming to my house anymore. I shot them all dead. <laughs> and the amazing thing was, within five minutes, three armed officers showed up responding to his house and they, they caught the criminals red-handed. They arrested them, and they said, we thought you shot these men dead. He said, 
well, I thought you didn't have any patrols in the area available. <laughs> That's a true story. You know, it's funny because sometimes it's kind of hard to get attention, get the attention needed at certain times. And there's no question about it in this gospel and with the gospel message, God has, is makes every effort to get our attention and every effort to get the attention of the Jews about the person and, and identity of Jesus Christ. First came John the Baptist, remember? He came proclaiming, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths, repent, be baptized, claiming repentance because of the kingdom of God being at hand. And John was John baptized Christ, we remember that, but it's important to understand the significance of John the Baptist. He is that end times prophet for the Jews. He was the one, the last of those prophets leading up to the Messiah. He was the one calling out, hey, Messiah is here. And he was arrested by Herod. Uh, Of course, Mark's gospel doesn't give us all the details of his arrest. The other gospels do. And today we pick up right after Jesus, uh, John has been arrested. And verse 14, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. John was moved out of the way. By the Lord. He was, he, the Lord moved him out of the way, and Jesus moved into position and began his ministry. Now, Mark doesn't give us the full ministry of Jesus. Mark gives us starting at his Galilean ministry, but we know from the Gospel of John that there was almost a year of ministry prior to this in Mark. Uh, we have the first miracle of changing the water into wine. We have the clean, clearing of the temple the first time. And some other... Uh, other miracles that Jesus did in that first part of his ministry. But as soon as John is removed, Jesus comes proclaiming the gospel. And this is what he says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. And uh, repent and believe in the gospel, the good news. The kingdom of God is an interesting term. As Jesus is proclaiming the kingdom of God, it's often used, the, the term kingdom of heaven is often used interchangeably with the kingdom of God. And I don't want you to mistake the term for our heavenly dwelling, to, to, to go be in heaven, because that's not what it's talking about, especially because Jesus shows up saying, the kingdom of God is at hand. And at other times he says, the kingdom of God has arrived. And it's interesting that this really, this terminology that Christ uses is really only found in the Gospels. It was a term that Jesus used most often. We don't see it much in the Old Testament. Well, we really don't see it at all. We do see promises that the Messiah will usher in a new kind of kingdom. That with Him comes the new covenant. A covenant that where God writes His laws on our hearts. Where we're no longer under the burden of the law. Where God establishes His new covenant. And that it comes with Messiah with Messiah, the anointed one, taking the throne of David. Of course, in the New Testament, we have the word Christ that substitutes for the Hebrew term Messiah. And so here we have Jesus showing up saying the kingdom of God is at hand. Well, what kingdom is this? Well, it's a different kind of kingdom than any kingdom seen before. In fact, in Matthew chapter 11, Christ gives an interesting teaching. John the Baptist disciples had come up to him. It's almost like John had had a 
a, a kind of question whether or not he really did find Messiah. He was, he was not sure. He wanted to make sure that it was Messiah that he, he had baptized in the Jordan. And so he's in jail. And you know, often times we have, when we have spiritual highs, after that, that spiritual high happens or that communion with God or God revealing something to us, we often have lows. And uh, we sometimes tend to question ourselves or doubt ourselves. We saw that all through the Old Testament with the prophets, Moses, Elijah. We, we see that happen all the time. And so John finds himself in prison, and he sends his disciples to Jesus to ask him an important question. Hey, I just want to make sure, are you the one? Are you the Messiah? And Jesus responds to them, it's such an interesting response. He says, hey, the blind see, the lame walk, the dead are raised, you know it. I'm adding the you know it part. But he basically says, yeah, I'm the guy. And then he proceeds to teach something about the kingdom of heaven that is so interesting. Jesus says, truly, I say to you in verse 11, chapter 11, verse 11, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has an ear, let him hear, Jesus said. What an interesting term that for, from the time of John the Baptist till now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent Take it by force. As Jesus is unfolding this idea of God's kingdom, this heavenly kingdom, initiated by Messiah, by the Christ, he begins to share something interesting because we know that Judea and Israel had become just a land of violence. The, the Seleucids and the Ptolemies fighting and warring over it, trying to take possession of this land. In fact, we've seen that even to this day. We see unrest in Israel. We see that the Dome of the Rock there on the Temple Mount and the, the Jews crying out at the Western at the Welling Wall for, for God to come and, and restore their temple. We constantly see this violence happening throughout Israel and Judea. But there's something interesting. No matter how badly the violent try to take hold of the kingdom like they would any other earthly kingdom, no matter how hard they try to possess it for themselves and control it, that's not how you get into the kingdom of heaven. And that's not how you gain possession of the kingdom of heaven. That's not how you become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And that's why Jesus said, hey, from any man born of woman, there hasn't been a greater one since John the Baptist. There's been no one greater in the kingdom. Of, well, wait a minute. Isn't John the Baptist in jail? That's right. And there's been no one greater than him? Well, I'll tell you, here's the greatest one, the one who's the least in the kingdom. It's not something you can possess by force. It's something that you have to choose to believe. In fact, Jesus Christ comes proclaiming the time is fulfilled. It's filled up. Pleureo in the Greek. It's, it's all filled up. This, the time is now. It's come. And the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Turn and believe the good news that God has provided for you to enter into his kingdom. See, 
to be part of the kingdom of heaven, you have to inherit it. You can't take it. You have to be a child of God. You've got to inherit it. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's those who recognize their spiritual poverty, that they're bankrupt, that they don't have enough good about them, but that Jesus Christ provides it for us. That he is the one that puts his goodness upon us. Dallas Willard, the uh, philosopher, and uh, he, he died actually last year, or May 2013, and um, he was... Uh, he, Famous writer, philosopher, Christian. He sat as the uh, chair of USC philosophy department. Um, and, uh, and he influenced me. One of the messages he gave me always influenced me because one of the things he challenged people with was, do you believe that Jesus is the smartest man that ever lived? Because if you did, if you believe that Jesus is the smartest man in your specified field, in parenting, and the smartest man in whatever it is you do in life, you're going to find yourself a humble servant to him. And so he, he talks about in the, uh, his book, The Divine Conspiracy, he says this as an illustration for the kingdom of heaven. He said, as a child, I lived in the area of southern Missouri where electricity uh, was available only in the form of lightning. It's hard to imagine back that far. <laughs> But he said, we had more than uh, we could use, but in my senior year uh, of high school, the Rural Electri Electrification Administration extended its lines into the area where we lived, and electrical power became available to households and farms. When those lines came by our farm, a very different way of living presented itself. Our relationships to fundamental aspects of life, daylight and dark, hot and cold, Clean and dirty, work and leisure, preparing food and preserving it could then be vastly changed for the better. But we still had to believe in the electricity and its arrangements, uh, understand them, and take practical steps involved in relying on it. What he's saying is that even once electricity came, we still had to go buy a refrigerator and plug it in. He still had to trust in electricity and believe that it would actually work and act as it's going to work because it had to work to actually use it. He goes on to say this. You may think this comparison is crude, and in some respect it is, but it will help us to understand Jesus' basic message about the kingdom of heaven. If we pause to reflect on those farmers who, in effect, heard the message, repent, for electricity is at hand. Repent and turn from their kerosene lamps and lanterns, their ice boxes and cellars, their scrubbers and rug beaters, their women-powered sewing machines, and their radios with dry cell batteries. The power that could make their lives far better was right there near them by making relatively simple arrangements. They could utilize it. Strangely, a few did not accept it. They did not enter the kingdom of electricity. Some just didn't want to change. Others could not afford it, or so they thought. It's a great illustration for us to understand the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. To repent. Turn from the old ways. Turn from you trying to do it yourself. Turn, turn from you trying to be good enough or coming up with your own standard of morality. Turn and turn towards God and receive it. What an awesome idea that this gospel message brings to us. To, so that we can know 
that there's a new kingdom and it's begun with Christ Jesus. Jesus, now establishing His new kingdom, begins to call out His new citizens. And this is so interesting as He walks along the Sea of Galilee. Now, let me just pause for a minute and talk about this. From the other Gospels, we learned that Peter and Andrew and John and James, they had already had interactions with Jesus to a certain extent. In fact, we, we believe that Andrew was one of John the Baptist's disciples originally, and we know that they had interactions. In fact, some of them even went, down to the, they went to the wedding feast in Cana. They were there with him. So we, we know that they had, they had interactions but this call is different as he walks along the Sea of Galilee. And so Mark, just, Mark is just picking up with Jesus' authority. And you're going to find this a theme in Mark's gospel, that Jesus has, has authority. That he doesn't just kind of wander around hoping to do something right or kind of influencing people or throwing out more questions. Because that was what the Jews were used to. They were used to Pharisees and teachers, their rabbis coming around saying, well, Rabbi so-and-so says this about this passage, and Rabbi so-and-so says this about this passage, and Rabbi so-and-so says this. Cool. That's it? Oh, yeah, that's it. Rabbi so-and-so said that, and Rabbi so-and-so. Okay, so what is it? That's how the Jews were always left. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, we're going to see that Mark continually shows that he teaches with authority. This is how he was different than all these other rabbis out there is he actually told us how to access the kingdom of God. It wasn't hoping this one or maybe that rabbi's got the idea, but it was this is the message. And so Jesus passing along beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting the net into the sea for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. This is so different from how the rabbis got disciples in Jesus' day. It was pretty common for, for disciples to go and choose a rabbi, and they would hang out with that rabbi for a time and learn from them what they felt they could, and then go on and apply to the next rabbi and say, hey, can I come follow you? And the rabbi would say, okay, sure, do this, scrub my feet, whatever the case is, uh, be my disciple and follow me along. But here Jesus comes, and, and by the way, the Greek here says it's a little different, it's, and it's a little bit rougher. Basically, Jesus says, come after me. It's a summons. You come after me and follow me. That's the, that's the whole idea. Come after me and I will make you become fishers of men. Come after me. And you know what? I, I believe that Jesus calls us today. He calls each and every one of us. And by the way, we're not just talking to those of you in this room that may not know Christ. We're talking to each and every believer. Come after me. You've got to follow him. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you've got to follow after him. When we, when we become Christians, we're not finished. We haven't arrived. We didn't solve it all. Some people approach Christianity that way. Oh, I said the prayer. Oh, I go to church. I sit in, sit in the pew. Oh, I give an offering. But yet they haven't, they're not coming after Christ. I'm not saying, Lord, being the smartest man that I can ever know, the expert in my field, Lord, how would you have corrected my kids? Teach me. Lord, how would you have responded to my wife? Or vice versa. Lord, how would you do this? 
How would you act in, when you're on the road? How would you act? What would you say, Lord? How would you deal with this situation at work? How would you deal with this situation at school? Lord, would you cheat? What would you do, Lord? And seek after him, follow after Christ. And so Jesus says, come after me and I will make you fishers of men. I will, you, and I will make you to become. By the way, the ESV is pretty accurate there with that translation. I will make you to become. I, I will raise you up to be fishers of men, to go out and catch others. And isn't it amazing that among the 12 disciples, we saw that there were many disciples following Christ, and that we are just a part of that kingdom continuing on as disciples. God doesn't want us to just stop at a prayer. He wants our whole lives. He wants us to come after Him. He wants each and every one of us to be fishers of men. Don't believe me? Just read the Great Commission. Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. So this was the time at which Peter and Andrew decided, we are fully committing to you. Now, they weren't finished by any means. We're, we're going to see in the Gospel of Mark that they're still going to be learning who Christ is. Christ is still going to be unfolding these truths to them. They're not going to have it all down. They didn't figure it all out. We're, we'll see their faith will be tested over and over. And we're going to see the climax of Mark's Gospel is going to be Peter's confession, you are the Christ, the Messiah. We'll get to that. But they were ready to leave behind their ways. Leave behind their nets. They left them. They left their life of fishing. And going a little farther, he saw James and the son of Zebedee and John, his brother. Now, we know from the other Gospels, they're also referred to as the sons of thunder. That's, what a great tag team name, you know? So, the sons of thunder. Anyway, they, they, Jesus calls out to them. They were both mending their nets just taking care of the maintenance routine stuff, and immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed after him. They left it all. They were willing to leave it all for following Christ. I think there's definitely a question that you have to ask yourself is, are you willing to leave it all for Christ? You know, Brandon shared his testimony, his addiction with drugs, his his life with that, his life with crime, his life with the gangs. But he, could, he can't keep hold of it and follow Christ. He's got to leave it. He has to turn from it. That's the repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Turn and come do it, do it Christ's way. I just want to challenge you tonight with a couple things in closing here. If you're going to follow Christ, you'll turn off your cell phone. I'm just kidding. <laughs> No, don't be sorry at all. I have to make a joke. I'm sorry. No, no, don't be sorry. You know, my phone went off the other day. Okay, so um, don't be sorry at all. No, 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 I'm sorry. Uh-oh. I apologize. I didn't mean to embarrass. Sorry, I had to make a joke. Okay, that'll be edited off the podcast. <laughs> Always something. Uh, but I... 
I want you to realize some, so a couple things about following Christ. One, if we follow Christ, we're going to look to his word. We're going to look to the word of God about the word of God. He, that's who Jesus is. He is the word of God. And we're going to look to this book here all that we can to know him. Turn with me real fast to Luke chapter 6. Luke 6. And verse 46. Jesus says this, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does, does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of the house was great. If you're going to follow Christ, if you're going to call him Lord, it's got to be in action. You've got to look to see what he tells you to do and do it. It can't be something like, I'll do it later. I'll do it later. I'll come after you later. No, if the Lord calls, respond to him. Respond to his kingdom call. Second thing I want to say is that the goal is to become a good kingdom citizen. I don't know if you've thought about this, but there's an, there's, the kingdom of heaven usher, is being ushered in with Christ, but it's not complete yet. We're going to see the kingdom of heaven being complete during Christ's millennial reign. That's when we're going to see the, the fulfillment, Christ literally reigning on his throne. And, and we're going to see the, his kingdom established. But right now, it's starting in the church. Those who know Christ, those who are his bride, we are the kingdom and it's starting with us. And your job, as long as you're here on this earth, is learning to be a good citizen for his kingdom. Learning how to behave yourself according to his rules. Learning how to serve him in his kingdom. By the way, who is it that's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? The one who's the least. The one who's dying to self. That's my challenge to you tonight. Become the least. Learn to follow Christ. Take his yoke upon you and learn from him. He's and humble in heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you sent the word, Jesus Christ, to us so that we could know you, Lord, that we could be a part of your kingdom, the one you're establishing, a kingdom whose foundation is and builder is not of this world. Lord, we love you. And God, we want to give the rest of our time to you now. We thank you, God, for being such a glorious, good God to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.